Hey, do me a favor. Thank Rachel. Thank you. Some of you will consider this and, uh, and make a difference in a child's life. This is an important time. As, uh, I can't believe how quick that happened. It's really a big deal that you guys were certified um, that quickly and, and that you're willing to step into that. You can imagine that with schools not meeting and so many other social distancing things happening that there are so many kids that are maybe experiencing either food insecurities or issues at home that are not entering the foster care system. And so we need families that are willing and ready because when things begin to open up more, then I imagine those numbers will grow exponentially. And so if you're interested, just pray about it, consider it. We would love for you to connect. If you're online in the chat room, I think our host, Jim Brandt, shared a link that you can go and, and take a peek at. We prayed for one of our families, the Durrani family, back in October, October 13th, um, there was a car accident at Caitlin, a uh, young gal that was part of our church that was baptized, our only baptismal that happened during the pandemic thus far, uh, her and her family. Um, so she was in a car accident. We That Sunday prayed for her, and we've given you a little updates here and there, but some progress has been happening slowly, thoughtfully, carefully. I'm sure it just seems like it's just at a snail's pace at times for the family, but other times, Caitlin just just rushes forward and there's all kinds of great things that are happening. Danny this week sent me a little video. We want you to see it. So Caitlin, uh, that was right out in front of Craig Hospital. Caitlin is uh, in Craig now. She's been in for about three, four days, something like that. This week she went in. And uh, that's a big deal. If you know much about Craig Hospital, uh, there's really nobody that does rehab better than they do. And Caitlin needed to hit a few benchmarks before she could be admitted into Craig. And uh, Caitlin has had numerous surgeries. She spent numerous days completely immobile, many days the family just on their knees and many of us on our knees wondering if she's going to make it. And, uh, and so this is a, it's been a good week for them and pretty exciting. Um, they're, they're ours. You know, they belong to us. And so we want you to keep praying for the Durrani's. Um, you know, we, we hear about these things that happen, and then we kind of jump in and pray and, and feel for a moment their experience, but I think it's important to remember that they're in it every moment of every day. And so, you know how hard grief is right now, and how hard stress is during the, I mean, I, we're completely depleted emotionally in a, uh, dozens of different ways, and what they're dealing with is just impossible to even fathom and 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 comprehend. So keep, keep praying for them because we believe that our prayers are not just little voices that, you know, lift to the heavens and disappear. We believe that our prayers actually affect outcomes and, and give us compassion that we need and cause God to act and to move. And so just, just keep praying. There's some other families that you need to be praying about too. And I'll mention them. I feel like because we can't have the normal conversations that we have in the lobby, uh, there's just a few of us here and there's a m many more online that we need to kind of update you with church family stuff because we're in this together and uh, we need each other through this, even if we are distanced a bit. Um, about two weeks ago, uh, when church was wrapping up, Cindy grabbed me and pulled me into the lobby because Dr. Uh, Wally Unruh had stopped by. He's a chiropractor here in town and 
And one of Wally's best friends happens to be one of my good friends, Ira Schroeder, who some of you might know. I've mentioned Ira a time or two from the stage here. Ira's a plumber, and uh, he's my plumber. Some people have lawyers. Some people have accountants. I have a plumber, okay? I don't know what that means about me and my plumbing, but um, Ira's been a friend for, I don't know, 10, 15 years. And in fact, it was last Thanksgiving when we had some of you over for Thanksgiving dinner at our house, and one of those people, it was, was Ira, who we got to spend Thanksgiving with. Um, uh, two weeks ago, Ira passed away. He had a heart attack, not a COVID-related death. Ira has had some heart issues over the, over the days, and, and uh, he, he was waiting uh, for his pacemaker uh, that he was going to have installed and put in the coming Monday, so just two days, day and a half or so from his death. And, uh, and so when... Uh, well, I was thinking about a renovation project. We were going to maybe do at our house uh, this past week. Uh, my first thought was, who, who am I going to call to do my plumbing? And uh, Ira's a good man, and I really enjoy getting to know him. And we spent hours and hours together because I can't do any plumbing at all. So uh, if you knew Ira, then, uh, then you can pray for him and his family. And, and we're, we're grateful that account. Ira is a friend, and we're grateful that he's gone on to his reward. Another family in the church that you need to pray for uh, that uh, has gone through a very incredible, just tragic loss over the last uh, couple days and really it, it developed over the last few weeks. Uh, Lee and Cheryl Dale, part of our church family, they uh, have been around for, for several months. They're, um, uh, some of you will know them. I'll show you a picture here in just a second. Let me tell you a little bit about what's going on with them though. Uh, Lee and Cheryl, they, they live here in Castle Rock in Crystal Valley. And uh, they recently bought a home in Arizona to do a little snowboarding, and they had begun their first snowboard, snowboard, snowbird uh, trip, although they both look healthy enough to snowboard, um, just a few weeks ago. And Lee got down to Arizona. Lee didn't feel well. He got checked out, had a COVID test. He was positive. His condition worsened. He got admitted to the hospital, had a stroke uh, not long after being admitted, and uh, and just yesterday passed away. And so some of you know Lee and Cheryl. This is, this is their picture. Um, and they're just dear, dear people and very connected to our ladies' Bible study crew. And uh, Cheryl's down in Arizona and has some family with her and around her. She's going to stay put for right now. No services or anything like that for, for Lee for the time being until we can all gather again. But it's good for you to have, if you haven't met the Dales, a name and a face together. Um, and very important that you would maybe lift them up in prayer. Um, and we are just heartbroken and we grieve with Iris family. We grieve with the Dale family. We still hold intention, this grief and hope with the Durrani family. And there are, these are just a few stories. Every week we hear stories of people either in our body or connected to our body that are dealing with a variety of different stressors and difficulties. And so, it's important that you and I recognize that even during COVID, that we're a part of this community, you can begin to feel like you're isolated, or you can begin to feel like you don't have the connections that you maybe used to have. And if maybe you're introverted or this suits you, then maybe it doesn't even you know, cause you to skip a beat. Maybe you feel lonely otherwise. Regardless, here's what I'd love for you to do today. I, I wonder if you would just reach out to somebody. Maybe a good way for you to do this, 
in terms of our church body or even just your friends or family. It doesn't need to be anybody in our church. It could be just a neighbor that you've seen from time to time that you haven't really had a conversation with lately. If you shoot them a text or maybe just go say hello and wear a mask and stand six feet back from the porch or whatever you need to do, just to check on them, just to say, you haven't been forgotten. I see you. Do you need anything? Has something come up that we don't know about? Most of you listening online in this room, if you had a need, you probably wouldn't say anything to anybody. You'd probably Amazon what you need or you might just do, go without or take care of it yourself. But if somebody came alongside you and reached out to you, you would at least know uh, that you haven't been forgotten. And so here's what we believe. We believe that God's spirit is so pervasive and so kind and so comprehensive that if you were to just say a simple prayer today, Lord, who is it that maybe has a need that might feel forgotten? Or who is it that is in dire straits that needs some attention, that God is so kind and knows both of you, he'll just whisper their name to you. And you know what that looks like. It's not like you heard a whisper and you're wondering who was in the room with you, although that might happen to some of you. It doesn't happen to me. It will be that their name will just come to mind. You'll have a memory You'll, you'll come across something that you wrote or anything. And that's God's way of saying, look, just check on them. Just reach out. And so if you did that, if you're online, if you did that, just ponder that just for a moment. I don't know. There's a few hundred of us connected right now to this experience. How many people would go to bed tonight and think, I haven't been forgotten. Somebody noticed. Somebody pay attention to me. That'd be great. That'd be great. Uh, the world would be a little bit kinder when the sun comes up tomorrow. And so that's what we're hoping. That's what we would wish that you would do. I'll do the same thing. I'll do it, same as you. And uh, who knows, maybe two or three people will come to mind. Maybe you'll have a busy afternoon, right? Wouldn't that be great? Um, maybe you'll have some plans. Some good things are happening as well uh, in the context of our church, and, and it's not just tragedy and difficulty and, and pain, although there's plenty of that, and we know that. Uh, yesterday at our food bank, and this represents both insecurities, but also really, really good stuff, they set a record. We had 70 people come by our food bank um, yesterday, and Scott's here, if you would, thanks, Scott, and, uh, and Lynn, Lynn, the gal that helps him, and um, it's incredible. Last Saturday, King Supers had donated a ton of leftover turkeys to us. And they know Scott. Well, they, they know Scott, so they call Scott and say, we've got turkeys. And he gave out dozens of turkeys to people who came by. Just incredible. Yesterday, 70 clients came through. And I've seen the stack of toys that you guys have donated that is just, it's a massive. Scott, I don't know if you've seen the recent. Okay, so he filled up his, his minivan last week, and now he's got to fill it up again. Just so generous. Next Saturday, you can be praying for them as they uh, connect and help these people uh, celebrate Christmas. A lot of people are going without right now. And I don't believe we've seen the worst of it. I believe, I believe the economy is, is um, you know, headed in a direction that we're going to see lots of pain and, and insecurities. And what that means is, is that we have an opportunity to show grace and love and mercy and generosity. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. The church usually shines well when when uh, people are going through tough times. And so, we're, Scott, we're grateful for you. We're grateful for the food bank and all that's happening. And, uh, and that would be excellent if you can continue to pray for them in their event. 
Hey, if you're out driving around at night um, looking at the pretty lights, we've done something for the first time ever in the history of our church. We put lights on our church. And so um, just, you know, you're going to be down Wolfensburger, right? You're going to go down uh, Perry, and then you're going to go out to uh, Miller Park and see all their lights. Well, just swing down Park and drive by and pray for the church and pray for those in the church and just soak in the lights. I mean, you know, it's, it's pretty, right? Lights in the dark. It feels like that's what this season is about, is putting light into dark places, which is why the question that we asked last week is so important and why it's one that we'll wrestle with all month long. We asked this question, how is your hope? And so I wonder if you kind of wrestled with this through the week, if you pondered this question, if not, you're hearing it for the first time, you can kind of, you know, ponder and imagine this question, what your answer would be if we were sitting across the table having coffee. How how is your hope? Have you seen it sort of ebb and flow? Has it been full and then all of a sudden just been depleted when you get certain news? Does it feel like you're at the at the gas pump, if you will, and you keep clicking the little handle and nothing's coming out, you know, it feels like it's empty. How is your hope through this season? Where would your hope be? And it can feel like in tough times that your hope completely takes a beating and that hope is ebbing more than flowing or it's decreasing or maybe completely non-existent. And when times are like that, our tendency can be, look, I'm just going to put my head down and do the next thing. I'm going to put my head down and do the work or just take care of the next thing. What else am I going to do? I can't just go back to bed, although maybe some days we do or most days we feel like it. But that can work for a day or two, more rest or just, you know, head down, feet forward. But it doesn't last. It goes away quickly. In fact, researchers say that hope is more important than optimism that hope is more important than talent, that hope is more important than skill, that if you're going to gauge the success of business leaders or students or individuals in almost any area of their life, the one thing, the one attitude, the one quotient that matters more than anything else is hope. Matters more than IQ when you look at a GPA. It matters more with how you are doing in terms of raising your family, your, your marriage, working itself out through difficult times. Hope is the one thing that pushes you through painful and difficult circumstances, which means in 2020, hope is probably the most important commodity we could grab hold of. And hope isn't just a wishful thinking that things will get better. There's all, there's all kinds of important research around hope. And so we used this definition for hope last week just to be sure we're all on the same page and we're talking about the same thing, not just this wish and a dream sort of thing. Hope is this, anticipating, important, we see it ahead, and working toward, meaning I, I have something to do here and I'm engaging, anticipating and working toward what? Say those words with me, better days ahead. That's what we think. Hope has taken such such a beating through this time because, well, I mean, if you're anything like me back in February, I don't know if this virus is going to become a thing or not. In March, we became convinced it's definitely becoming a thing. And I said to Josh, you know, we need to go online. We're going to have church online, but we'll be back for Easter, I'm sure. That's what we thought. We couldn't imagine not having church for Easter. So I can't imagine what your plans were like. You had a cruise scheduled in June. You had a family reunion in August. What was it that you thought, you know what, I'm sure that's intact. I'm sure that will happen. And it feels like our hope is just completely taking it from all sides. As we go through this season, hope is anticipating 
and working toward better days ahead. Now in the eighth or ninth or tenth month of a pandemic, racial strife and political unrest that seems to have no end in sight, what role does hope play and how do we grab hold of it? Well, this definition that we gave you, it wasn't just pulled out of thin air. The words are chosen very carefully, anticipating and working toward better days ahead. We know where hope comes from, the author of hope. It's the one who made you, who breathed life into you, who knit you together in your mother's womb and has his fingerprints all over your heart. In fact, Hebrews 11 gave us this definition of hope that we talked about last week, first couple of verses, you can read it on your own. And hope didn't begin to exist when the New Testament was written. It happened when God created you to be in relationship with him. But over the years, researchers and scientists and psychologists have discovered hope and they've done so in a thousand different ways. Dr. Charles Snyder, one of the most recent, In the early 90s, he's a psychologist. He worked at the University of Kansas. Dr. Charles Snyder developed what he calls, and his fellow research people, hope theory. And hope theory is this body of work, deeply researched, been developed now for decades. It tells us that hope is exactly this. Interestingly, it agrees with the ancient scriptures in Hebrews chapter 11. It's the same thing. That hope is comprised of two things. First of all, I know where I need to go. That's the first thing. Snyder would call it a pathway. I know where I need to go. I'm at point A, and I know where point B is, and there's a path there, and and I need to figure out what that path is and how I need to get there. If you've started a business, if you've tried to raise kids, if you've done any projects, you know this is exactly how you structure all those things where you're trying to move from one place to another. I need a pathway. Where is it? Point A, point B. People who have hope understand where the pathway is. They find it. And then the second thing is this idea of working toward. I anticipate it, I know where it is, there's a pathway. But the second part of hope, Dr. Charles Snyder would say, is I'm working toward it. In other words, I have what it takes to get there. And with those two things in mind, hope becomes not just a wishful thinking or an idea that is elusive and ebbs and flows, but it has tangible and practical and actual reality benefits. That's why you and I, we need hope. We're going to anticipate and work toward better days ahead. Well, here's the problem with hope. And we're all, we're tying all of this into the Christmas story. We'll get there. I promise. Just hang on with me for a minute. The problem with hope is that often sometimes we're stuck. And I think that's where many of us are after months of being in the the, the turmoil and the upendedness, our culture, pandemic, and so many other things. And when we're stuck, we can be too focused on what has happened and what is happening. That is our, our past or our circumstances. These two things often keep us stuck. We think about what has happened, and so we shrink back. We're afraid to engage in a relationship. We're not sure if we can trust that somebody will be loving or forgiving or faithful or helpful. And we think about what has occurred. And this is a good thing that we have this. This is why you don't touch a hot stove, right? You did it once and thought, ah, I probably shouldn't do that again. Some of us, it took two or three times. Some of us learned it the first time. We learn from the past, but hope can often keep us stuck. 
if we focus on what has happened. And sometimes we focus on what is happening. These are our circumstances. And I think this is where many of us find ourselves. If you thought back in March, this will be a few months, and then you thought in April, well, maybe it'll happen quicker than I thought or slower than I thought. And now in August and September and October, now you still see no end. And then you heard somebody on the news say, we won't be back to normal until 2022. You may have thought, that's it. I can't take it anymore. I put some hope on a date or a month or a season, and it seems to just completely get evaporated every time I turn around. You think we're in a second wave or a third wave? Is there a fourth? Is there a fifth? Does the vaccine work? All of these things are thoughts that we have. And so when we have these circumstances, we find ourselves stuck. And when we're stuck, we're focused on those two things. What has happened, I know better than to trust, or what is happening. I have no idea when it's going to get better. Better days ahead? Are you kidding me? Is your head stuck in the sand? Optimist for no reason? This is the same spot that Zechariah was in. Last week we talked about the beginning of the Christmas story. It didn't start with Jesus. It starts with family members. Same way your story started. Didn't start with you. Start with your great-grandpa and somebody before him and before him and your great-grandmother and their, their stories and intertwining and all of a sudden here you are today. It didn't start with you. It came long before you. When Luke begins to tell the story of Jesus, which is centered around hope, it doesn't start with him or Mary or Joseph. It started with Zechariah. And when we told the story of Zechariah last week, Zechariah, who is in the Holy of Holies in the temple, and the angel Gabriel comes to say, I know you've been barren. I know you haven't had kids. I know you have no hope of offspring in the future. But the angel Gabriel says, you're going to have a baby, and it's going to be amazing. He's going to do incredible things. Zechariah says to the angel, in fact, say it with me, how can I be sure of this? He has no hope. Why? Remember what I just told you? He has no hope because of what has happened. Years and years we hoped and prayed. Our friends had kids. We didn't have any kids. We asked God for help. He didn't give us help. We asked God for a hope and a future for a family, and we still have nothing. He's stuck the same as some of you. Why? Because of what has happened and because of what is happening. How can I be sure of this? Why? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. What do you hear? What has happened? Decades of praying, no fruit. And our current circumstances, Elizabeth, she can't bear a child now. She's too old. And this is where Zechariah was. Now, this early part of the Christmas story, it teaches us about hope. It's the same stuff that Dr. Snyder found in the early 90s with his researchers that got him on the Today Show teaching and coaching people toward hope. It's the same thing we feel when we read Hebrews 11 about faith and hope, sure of the things that we cannot see. And it's what you need when you get up on Monday morning And you're not sure you have anything left to give. Can it get better? God answers that. The Christmas story is God's message to me and you that I still see you. I know your name and you haven't been forgotten. And Zechariah gives us a a peek into that. The next little 
piece of Luke chapter 1, we move on from Zechariah and Elizabeth and we learn the story of Mary. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel. So Gabriel's kind of busy, right? It's his second trip in six months. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Joseph was a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So Gabriel's got another message to bring. He shows up, brings this message to Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is, is with you. It's a great message, isn't it? It's a message you and I would want to hear. You're favored. In other words, God thinks you're pretty special. You're one of his favorites. And not only that, not only that, the Lord is with you. Now, this is so interesting to me in Scripture. When you read Scripture, any story, any dialogue, this story about people, you're not reading commandments in Leviticus, even then you should do this. But especially when you're reading about people, understand these aren't just words on a page. This isn't just a, you know, a, a flat story as you're seeing it on the the scriptures that are on the, the pages in front of you. This is texture. It's, it's people, it's motivations, it's messy, it's real, and it's true. These were people with names and histories and families and lives. Mary gets visited by an angel with this message, and this is her reaction to what he says. Mary was, what, greatly troubled. Now, I understand why Zechariah got scared. He's in a place where nobody else is supposed to be. He's in the Holy of Holies all by himself. And Gabriel shows up, and his first thought would be, who snuck in here, right? But Gabriel says, you know, do not be afraid. I'm bringing you good stuff, all that kind of thing. Mary's not freaked out by the angel. Luke makes it clear. This is so important. Mary's not scared by the angel. She's greatly troubled. What? What troubled her? His words troubled her. Why would his words trouble her? What did he say? All he said was, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Why would that bother Mary so much? Why would that trouble her? Wouldn't she be like, well, first of all, who the heck are you? You know, and you're really big and tall and you're a man. We're not supposed to be in a room together alone. You know, it's a different culture. So many things for her to be troubled by. This did not trouble her. What troubled her? His kind words. Why? Well, she's a woman. Here's what I mean. I can come in from a, a day of work and I can say to Donna, hey, how was your day? And you know what she'll say to me? What's on your mind? And I'll say, I, how could you tell? She's like, you know, I can just tell. The look on your face, the way you're walking, your slumped shoulders, you know, you're wearing it on your your." wrinkles. I, I can tell something's on your mind. This is how Mary is. When Mary hears these words, greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. She thinks, oh no, this, is, this can't be normal. This can't be good. I mean, I like normal. Look, I'm planning a wedding. That's what she's doing. She's betrothed to Joseph. I got a life ahead of me. I got stuff to do, got to make some dinner, I got to take care of the family business, I got to meet the needs, I'm going to go see so-and-so, I heard about Elizabeth, I'm not sure she's feeling good, maybe I'll make a trip. She has the life, she has plans. Now the Lord is with me, 
Oh, dang. This can't be good, right? Come on. When does God show up in Scripture to say, hey, keep doing what you're doing. Everything's fine. We just want you to keep on the same path. That doesn't happen. Moses sees the burning bush and he's like, I've been tending sheep. I kind of like tending sheep. I just would like to keep this up. He's like, no, you're going to Egypt. Don't send me, Lord. What does he say? You can't send me. Send my brother. Send somebody who, don't send me. You're interrupting my life. This is what God does. He interrupts your life. What's going to happen today when you pray about who to connect with? You're going to call somebody who's hungry. And you're going to have to go to your pantry and get something out of it and take it to them. And you have plans for a nap or something. God's going to interrupt your day. And at first, you're going to not want to do it. And then you're going to do it. And then tomorrow, you're going to pray again. Lord, that was fun. Who do you want me to bless today? That's how God works. Mary is greatly troubled at his words, and she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. In other words, she's sharp, and she knows what's up. And so this is what happens. Mary is in this interaction, a lot of words here, but catch it all. This is what the angel Gabriel says to Mary. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now that's a few verses. It's not everything that Gabriel said to Mary. But it's a lot to take in, isn't it? In fact, was Mary right to be greatly troubled at his words? In fact, when Jesus is eight days old, they go to the temple. And there's an old man there, his name's Simeon. And Simeon approaches Mary and, and you know, he, he wants to sort of bless. God had told Simeon, you will see the Messiah before you die. And so Jesus, eight days old, Joseph and Mary go to the temple like good Jewish parents are supposed to do. They're going to dedicate Jesus. And there's a whole process around all of that. And even in that interaction with Simeon, this old man who has no business approaching this young family says some things to Mary that are also greatly troubling. She will treasure and ponder these things, but he also explains that a sword will pierce her soul. Mary's getting word from this angel Gabriel that her life will never be the same again. And not only will her life never be the same, but she is going to experience the highest highs you could ever imagine. Like at the wedding in Cana, Jesus is a grown and Mary says, keep the party going. Or the lowest of lows when she's along the road and watches her son get beaten and scourged and witnesses his death. This is what Gabriel is telling Mary. Your life is never going to be the same again. Mary's response is incredible. This is what she says. And this will seem a little bit familiar to you if you were here last week or listened to last week's message. How will this be? Mary asks. Sound a little familiar? How will this be, Mary asks, since I'm a virgin? That's a good question. It's a fair question, isn't it? Sounds a lot like another question that got asked 
right? We saw it just a minute ago. Zechariah's question was, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife's along in years. And it's funny, Gabriel says to, to Zechariah, I am Gabriel, I've come from God's presence and you will be mute for, I don't know, about nine months and you will sit in the corner and think about what you've done. This is what Gabriel said. Okay, that's part my, my translation. When Mary asks the question, how will this be? This is why when you read the stories in Scripture, you have to read it with texture and attitude and intent and all of that. Because when Mary says, how will this be? It's like the angel says, yeah, it's a fair question, right? You are a virgin. This is going to be weird, but the Holy Spirit's going to help you conceive and, and you're still going to get married and... This is, this is going to be incredible. It's going to be life-changing. The angel, in fact, answers her question. Posture has everything to do with how these questions were heard by Gabriel. Your perspective about how you're approaching your difficulties and your pain or, dare we say, the unexpected events in your life has everything to do with what happens next. Everything. You can ask, how can this be, and find yourself in time out. You can also ask, how can this be, and get an explanation from God. Doesn't it have to do with how you ask? And whether you're open-handed or not? Whether or not you're ready to receive what God has in mind for you or not. Whether you are digging your heels in or moving toward hope. You've done both, haven't you? In your own life. You've seen God at work and you've moved toward it. You've also seen God at work and turned your back and hardened your heart. Which is it right now? I know. I know 2020 has done a number on every one of us, but that doesn't mean that we're excused from playing a part in God's story. In fact, there are some that have heard God's voice and responded in such a way, and they would say that they've experienced more of God's goodness, more of God's provision in the last nine months than ever before. How could that be? It all depends on your posture and whether or not you are open-handed and ready to receive. Are you skeptical or are you hopeful? Do you spend more time reading the news and the indictments or do you spend more time listening to what God has to say to you about the future and what he's doing to restore and redeem all things? Are you adding good bricks and building good things or are you tearing down condescendingly critiquing God's inviting you with open hands and so Mary Mary hears all of this in the explanation and this is what she says behold I am the servant of the Lord and then she says let it be to me as you have said according to your word that's what she says open-handed. But we're going to spend a few more weeks as we push through Advent and get to Christmas Eve talking about hope. 
but it would be a mistake for us to talk about the power of hope and what it means to have a pathway and even the belief that you can get from point A to point B. It would be a mistake for us to talk about how hope can move you in good places, in good ways, and in good directions if we didn't allow Zechariah's life and Mary's life to teach us probably the most important thing that can go before hope, and it's this. Look, for hope to take root, surrender has to happen first. Surrender has to happen first. In other words, Mary is with Gabriel, and Gabriel says, your life is never going to be the same again. And I would have so many questions. What about Joseph? Is he going to hang around? How do I raise the Son of God? I'm, this is un- unbelievable. I can't believe you're putting me in this spot. Surely there's somebody better. Can we just, you know, change how this is going to unfold? I was enjoying my life, but Mary says, let it be to me, as you have said, according to your word. And so she surrenders. And she gives it up. It's important for us to think about hope and pathways and the resources we have. And and this is all part of the Christmas story. But for you to get there, you have to know that for hope to take root, surrender must happen first. I know. I know you want to travel. I know you want to see people you haven't seen in a long time. I know you want what you want. I know you're angry. I know you're anxious. And I know you're fearful. I know that every feeling you have, Zechariah and Mary had as well. And when we watch their reactions and the paths that they took, then may it be said of us that the path that we take is this. Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. I don't get to pick the path of my life. Oh, I I believe I can and often try to, but ultimately I believe that God's in charge and that he is sovereign, which means he's in charge of everything. And I believe that what he's looking for me, what he looked for from Moses, what he wanted from Zechariah and Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men was this attitude. Let it be to me. Lord, how do you want to use me? If you want hope to take root, surrender has to happen first. Let me guide you through a prayer. Just very simple. We're going to worship just a bit more to kind of put these things more solidly in our hearts today as we wrap up our service. But just one song. But let me take you through this prayer as the worship team comes forward. Lord, we ask right now that as we ponder hope And we desperately want to lean toward hope because we love what it means when we have hopeful hearts and what it does to our view of the future and what you're up to and how you're leading us and guiding us. Lord, we would be terribly mistaken to believe that we could have hope without surrender. Surrender comes first. Lord, whether I'm surrendering my time my resources. Lord, there are some people that are listening online or in this room that, that hear the notion of accepting a, a foster child into their home. They felt a tug or a push or a nudge from your spirit. But the idea of upsetting the apple cart or adding more to their plate, well, it just sounds like a burden, like a hassle, like too much. 
So Lord, soften our hearts that we would move towards you in these ways. It's what happened over the last few weeks when we have mentioned these families that are in pain or struggling or dealing with loss or death and people have sent texts or delivered meals. You move us because we have surrendered our hearts. Lord, I don't know why in your economy we find hope when we give or we are filled with love when we give love to other people. But I'm grateful for the way you have structured all of this because it's in giving that we are filled. It's in loving that we find your pleasure. And so Lord, we wanna surrender to you today. And we do that first by saying, you are sovereign. Let it be to me, as you have said, according to your word. So use us, we're open-handed. And so when you bring circumstances that are less than what we want, we have open hands. When we read headlines and wonder what's to become of the world, we have open hands. And we pray that you would do your work in us first and then through us, that we may love, that we may give, that we may forgive. and that you would build your kingdom in our hearts as we try to live for you. So Lord, we adore you. We declare it now. And we ask that as we worship you with these words, that this would comprise our posture for the rest of this week. And so we start right now. So now just in this moment of prayer, this attitude of prayer, watching online here in this room, just stand with me as Josh leads us and let's uh, express some adoration to God.